Hey everyone, thank you so much for watching the Think Realty Podcast. Whether you're watching or listening, uh, we appreciate you and appreciate you being a part of our network. Um, we've got great guests today. We're in Tampa, Florida doing live podcasts, which I love. They're my favorite and we bring a lot of great guests to you. So let me say a quick thank you to our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Real Property Management. Working with the right property management company uh, can put you, uh, uh, can put more money in your pocket not less. Real property management provides a higher standard of property management to ensure you're maximizing the return on your investment. Experience the real difference with real property management. Visit realpropertymgt.com. That's real property MGT. Uh, my guest today uh, is, has been now a friend for quite a while and he's also one of our resident experts. And uh, he has a, a very uh, unique uh, look and gift and uh, takes a very specific approach to investing. Uh, our guest today is Eric Stewart. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Eddie. All the way Appreciate from it. Indianapolis area. Indianapolis right? area, yes, yeah, Southern good. Illinois. Southern Illinois. Yep. Uh, I appreciate uh, you being here in Florida. Uh, I, I can imagine that any chance you get to go to Florida outside of you know Indiana, Illinois, it's probably a, a good thing. It is, it is. <laughs> That's why I left the office here. The office is in Orlando. Oh, okay. Visibility, you know, feasibility, it's, yeah. it's, we kept it there. So, very good. But uh, the family wanted to go to Illinois, so I yeah. go to Illinois. Yeah, very good. That's <laughs> awesome. Totally, totally understand that. Um, I, uh, I, I want to jump right in. You know, right now the market is oddly hot and also uh, distraught. You've got investors, some that are running out, some that are running in. You've got lending, you know, issues kind of everywhere. If you don't mind, just give uh, the viewer and listener a brief overview of what you do, and then we'll kind of jump into how that really services the investor well today that's in this kind of crazy marketplace we're in. Perfect. Perfect. Yes. Um, Atlantic Business Capital, that's my company, and we are commercial mortgage brokerage firm. So we don't actually write the checks. We're not the lender, mm -hmm. but we've got a stable of lenders, everything from short-term bridge lenders, hard money lenders, all the way to long-term permanent debt recourse and non-recourse. Sure. So. And so you primarily stay in the commercial space. Um, do you do all types of commercial or do you try to stay inside of the residential commercial, you know, multifamily and such? You know, we, to answer your question directly, we can do all types of commercial, mm -hmm. office, retail, industrial. Sure. Um, but frankly, since about 2006, mm -hmm. I have leaned in to the multifamily space and the individual multifamily investor. And I'd love to say it was a, a, a genius business move. It's quite reactionary. Yeah. But that's where the referrals and the loan requests have come in. So that's sure. really where we stayed. Yeah. And it's a, a huge need. And I'm sure that right now with where the market's moving, it's probably an even greater need. Um, I know that there's, there's a lot of thought around, should I go try to go direct to the lender or should I use a broker? And I'm always a fan of, of using a broker, especially um, if it's an area that's new, right? Like, I've, I've owned hundreds, maybe thousands of single family doors. I own the American Association of Private Lenders as well. And I lead that, I think really. But when I get into multifamily, it's a different world for me. You know, like, and I'm in a lot of multifamily deals, but um, uh, lending regulations have changed, you know, dramatically over the past 10 years. Um, uh, borrower requirements have changed, even as of recently, um, how much liquidity they want, all these different things. 
Um, if you don't mind, like, talk to me about where the market currently is and what you're seeing uh, with uh, the state of commercial lending. Sure, absolutely. And, and to, to your point, um, as far as the broker or direct lender relationship, mm -hmm. um, there are times, depending on the borrower, where it may make sense to go direct. Sure. You're absolutely correct there. Um, early on, I developed a focus to, to serve the individual investors team and be on their team. Mm -hmm. A lot of my competitors were focusing on real estate brokers sure. as their marketing avenue. Right. And rather than follow that tack, I changed tack and really focused on being a team member for the individual investor because that's where I felt my need was. Right. To your point of changing borrower requirements, changing lender requirements, that type of thing, I'm able to share with them directly mm -hmm. rather than be someone that was referred to them by the broker who has a direct line to the broker, Sure, I'm on their team. And that's really where I found my value to be. Yeah. Um, and in times like these, we're seeing increased interest rates, which are an increased cost of funds. We're seeing lenders that are concerned over a frothy market from a valuation standpoint. Sure. And that can, that can manifest itself in a number of ways. Mm -hmm. Usually it's going to be lower leverage. Mm -hmm. That is a universal tool that sure. a lender is going to use. You don't lose what you don't lend. Right. Um, higher interest rate is not necessarily the best mitigate for a risk because mm -hmm. it's you just it's yeah. a higher rate that you're not going to pay if anyway. If you don't right? get repaid back, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly sure. right. So leverage is really what, where you're going to see that manifest yeah. itself. And so um, for someone who obviously think Realty is by and large a lot of single family, but a lot of them, the top 10, 15, 20% of Think Realty viewers and listeners have moved into multi-commercial, and then there's a, another 50% that are hoping to get there, right? Like there's this always this migration, right? Like we do one or two single family, then we move up and like, hey, that's a whole lot easier to do 50 doors or 100 doors than 10 at a time single family. But I, I think that this is where they get lost at. And my belief is, is that the service you provide is one of the most vital services for someone moving into multifamily. Because I've sat at the table and heard things, I'll give you a quick for instance, and then I'll kind of wind you up and get you going on, on another <laughs> topic. But uh, literally I have, um, I have fairly high net worth um, and usually don't have balance sheet issues mm -hmm. at, at the table when I'm trying to get a multifamily deal done. I had a, a bank, a commercial bank, um, a community bank that does a lot of commercial lending, who I've used for years, who essentially said I wasn't allowed, this was just a couple of weeks ago, was not allowed to use my self-directed IRA capital, even though it was liquid, inside of, my, um, inside of my net worth equation and the balance sheet equation that they were looking at. They refused to look at my self-directed IRA capital as liquidity. <laughs> and uh, that was a big deal for me because the way that I invest in order to kind of uh, mitigate taxation or create you know, less tax liability, is I invest heavy through my self-directed IRA, right? Like I'm trying to put as much in that for later as I can so I avoid taxation. Yep. Um, but then all of a sudden the bank goes, so I actually had to bring a partner into the deal because I needed kind of a balance sheet partner to get this deal done, and right? And for you, that's a chuckle. I mean, it, yeah, but it's, it's like, but, but you yeah. think about like, and I'm a fairly, I've done almost 4,000 doors in Malty, <laughs> and it's like, and if I'm having that problem, the guy that's trying to do his first 50 doors, I'm, I'm assuming he has that problem every time, you know? So I just, if you don't mind, speak to that a little bit. Sure, sure, absolutely. It's something we see very, it's very common. We see it all the time. Um, specifically, that liquidity requirement is, is, is a function of, or 
it's a, a, I don't want to say a remnant because it's still very much alive. It's born from the agencies. It's born from Fannie Mae and Freddie sure. Mac requirements. Right. And if you were 59 and a half or older, you wouldn't have that issue. You wouldn't have the issue, right. Um, but we, we do see that. We also see um, a number of different estate planning mm -hmm. strategies manifest themselves and become issues with a right. lender because you, you're, looking for, you're looking to protect yourself from the slip and fall right. and you know, unnecessary taxation, right? Mm -hmm. Where the lender just wants to have access to you if something goes wrong. Right. So balancing those two mm -hmm. is, is really important. And I see a lot of team building. Mm -hmm. I see it, whether it's experience, whether it's balance sheet, whether it's mm -hmm. location. Sure. Getting into that market, that single family investor that's looking to transition into the multifamily space, mm -hmm. realizing their value and then building a team around them, mm -hmm. that is where I see success. Yeah. It, it's, it's, the, the single family model has proven to be incredibly, incredibly lucrative for so many people. And there's a lot of transitional characteristics that, that lend themselves to multifamily. Sure. But sometimes you can make assumptions on that resi side right. that don't necessarily hold true in the multifamily sure. side. And that's where I love adding value because so many of my clients are just that. Right. And I have the conversation with them quite often um, about, about that transition. Mm -hmm. And nine times out of 10, they're gonna say, yeah, I wanna get rid of my, I'll get rid of my single family mm -hmm. and just do multifamily as though it's some maturity level or right. growth of their portfolio. Sure. Sure. And I really encourage them not to get rid of mm -hmm. what got you to this point. Sure. Blend that portfolio. That mm -hmm. diversification is the key of what they're looking to do. Mm -hmm. And it's a foundation of what we do in multifamily. Sure. We diversify our income streams. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we syndicate deals, diversify our equity. Sure. And we diversify our markets, we invest outside of our footprint. So that diversification is key, I think, in any portfolio. Yeah, very good. When we're talking about the current marketplace for lending, uh, mm -hmm. there's a lot of concern in the marketplace about interest rate, rate stability, you know, um, accessibility to capital, whether it's Freddie money or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to kind of where we are and maybe just some suggestions on how to, uh, to stay stable in this marketplace that just seems to be moving so much? Now, oh, great question, great question. And, and we, we're at a point now where the, the lenders are looking, looking ahead. A lot of bridge lenders are looking ahead because they have the short-term maturity. Sure. And the indication is that we're, seeing high, we're going to continue to see higher interest rates mm -hmm. at, least, at least into next year, whether it's Q2, Q1, um, before things start to stabilize a little bit. And that manifests itself in, in a lot of these variable rates, mm -hmm. higher costs. Sure. Um, so methods to, to, to mitigate that, that lack of stability or that risk, one is fixed rate bridge debt. Yep. Because a lot, of times, um, a lot of times, if you take a variable rate on one of your bridge loans or, sure. or renovation loans, that lender's gonna require that you purchase a rate cap. Mm -hmm. Those rate caps are extremely expensive right now. Um, and so we walk through, with my clients, we walk through the cost of the cap and the potential rate increase. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of clients <laughs> that will underwrite a variable rate Sure. They'll spend three, four hundred thousand dollars on a rate cap, mm -hmm. but in their projections, they underwrite their start rate all the way through. Mm -hmm. okay. they, don't, they don't give credit to that sure. mark, that increase. Yeah. So I, I asked them to really, let's be realistic on this mm -hmm. debt service. Once we do that, we compare that with the cost of a fixed rate bridge loan, sure. no cap, right out of the gate, right, and a full night's sleep. Mm. Yeah. And m most of the time, it's gonna it's gonna ding the first year's cash flow. Mm -hmm. Just by the way, they underwrote the deal. Sure. 
but in most cases, it's going to work out better to take that fixed hmm. rate. Interesting. Yep. And and I know, I mean, most multifamily guys, especially if they're getting into value add, they're not really playing for the one year return anyways. They're playing for a two year, three year, you know, potential return. And so that begins to start making sense as Does. well. Um, so what type of loans are getting done today? I mean, like I, I, the market is, has tightened up a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. from a lending perspective. So what are you seeing that is actually still going through, that's still active, that's not being turned away? There, there's, there's two definitive answers there. We can compartmentalize that answer to two sections. One, I'm seeing agency bridge loans get done mm -hmm. on lower leverage. Okay. And we've, we've seen over the last couple of years, what we've seen is a, is a compression of cap rates, which is based on, it's a calculation that's based on your net operating income. Mm -hmm. But we haven't seen the debt service coverage ratio change at all. Sure. Again, still based on that net operating income. Right, right. So that manifests itself in, in proceeds-driven loan amounts, mm -hmm. meaning we're, we're, we're getting as much of a loan amount as this property can support in a sure, payment, sure. but they're rarely maximum leverage that's allowable. Right, right. So 75, 80% is not usually hit. Sure. So we're seeing... So you're saying that the DSER, the debt service coverage ratio, is not necessarily... Uh, pushing that up to what the actual true values of the of the asset are is that what you're stating is like the the equation of the DSER loan whether they're asking for like a, a 1.1 or a one or whatever that is um, is still uh, providing uh, a low amounts of leverage on that total is that kind of what you're stating yes low okay. it is it's it's what we're, what we're looking at is two two definitive methods to decide what your loan amount is. Yeah. One is the maximum allowable loan amount, which sure. is usually 75 to 80%. Right. That would be that would be leverage constrained. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, this is a top down, we're not going any further, 80% mm -hmm. loan to value. Sure. The second test, you have to be able to make the payment based on historical income for these, for right. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Right. They're not looking for. And that's where the DSCR part comes in, right? Exactly. Can this cash flow in this asset turn around and you know, and pay for the debt service. That's exactly right. It's yeah. proceeds driven. It's we're yeah. going to push as much of a loan, loan yeah. amount as we can. And because that NOI hasn't changed, it's now 65%, 68% of that, sure. that inflated purchase price. Yeah. So when you're underwriting these deals, and I know that you're, you know, spending a lot of time on the financing of these deals. Um, are you, you know, obviously there's a lot of, uh, deferred maintenance, there is also uh, increasing cost in maintenance, right, from inflationary, you know, activity like the, the cost of goods to, to create the, you know, all the things that are, you know, maintenance driven. Um, how are you kind of dealing with that equation as that seems to be a moving target right now? It really is. Um, conservative projections are our key. It's that we are not in a market, and I don't think we're going to be in a market that is going to forgive best case scenario underwriting. Sure. And dialing that back is what's going to save you or help you, in my opinion, yeah. two, three years down the road when you yeah. have to exit one of those right. bridge loans. Right. Where the rub. Can, can I point oh, out yeah. what you just real? If, if you just heard what he said, most investors, if if. You have two lines of thinking, right? You have the visionary investor that looks at best case scenario, right? Mm -hmm. That's how we underwrite the deal. Ooh, we could achieve, right? 
you have my CFO, who everything is worst case scenario, right? <laughs> and you need that counterbalance because if not, you know, you're essentially looking at these deals going, well, if it does achieve this, then I get this. And the reality of it is, is what you just stated was, is best case scenario style of underwriting is really dangerous right now. Absolutely. You're, you're not playing for the what ifs and I think it cans, right? Like you're playing for the <laughs> what if this happens and what if I can't control this cost? So I just want to point that out because you said it so eloquently and I think that sometimes we miss that because a lot of the investors that, that are a part of this network are so visionary in activity that all they see is the, the potential, right? They don't right. see the risk. Well, and, and that's what we do as equity investors. We, mm -hmm. we look forward to see where we can take that investment. Sure. And then we've got our lender, I, I, I hate saying debt partner because it's sure. almost, yeah. Like yeah. an oxymoron. Yeah. But, <laughs> but we, we've got our lender that's in the same transaction yeah. for the same period of time we are, and they're looking at the, 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 the historicals sure. and the conservative side. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, uh, it's that balance. Yeah. And right now, we've got, we've got such momentum coming off of this market that we've seen for eight, 10 years. Yeah. Folks are conditioned to underwrite mm -hmm. to those type of, of, of rent increases, mm -hmm. um, expense efficiencies things like that. And yeah. we just gotta be cautious going forward. So many multifamily guys that I'm involved with and have invested with, and even myself, sometimes we get really fixated on the exit of the asset, right? Mm -hmm. um, we don't really think about, in multi, especially in value add, the way that it's kind of worked in the, the marketplace, it's like you kind of put your capital up or you raise capital, you refinance, you get some of your early capital out, and then your big IRR comes maybe at the exit point of this asset or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, do you think there's gonna be a lot of multifamily um, properties that are gonna take big hits in this marketplace because of how much it's moved between the time period of refinance, you know, you got reperformance and refinance and then typically exit, right? And mm -hmm. most of these guys have been playing for that exit. right? Um, these guys aren't holding these assets for 20, 30, 40 years. That doesn't make economic sense. So do you think there's going to be a lot of investors that really take a hit now in that, that are in that window? It's from what I'm seeing and what we've, what we've really focused on is a more conservative debt underwrite mm -hmm. than what we saw, you know, in 04, 05, sure. 06. And, and I know there's a, there's a lot of folks that are, that are waiting for those opportunities. Mm -hmm. Number one, that conservative underwrite is gonna help a lot of investors. Sure. Number two, the, when we're dealing with income producing properties like this, mm -hmm. I feel like it's, it, it doesn't have as far to fall mm -hmm. sure. as maybe one single family, right. non-income producing asset yeah. where they're just gonna sit back and let it go. Like, yeah. You've got a, a 100 unit asset there's fresh powder sitting in the sidelines just waiting to get in. Sure. And I feel like that's really gonna help a lot, yeah. whether, it's, whether it's a function of recapitalizing mm -hmm. or, or stabilizing the market and not having, not having these, these, this huge, huge drop. Sure. I feel like it's gonna be there. Yeah, I've noticed a, a couple of investing friends that I have who have even like syndicated a deal and have gotten kind of into year three or four or five and have recapitalized these deals and even you know taken out some of the early investors that were part of the syndication because they want to ride that that opportunity you know like it's, it's hard to find great deals today the, the market's tight the inventory is a little bit low <clears throat> so they're like why not instead of trying to figure out what to do with all this capital and finding a new asset why don't I just ride this out and so they'll recapitalize and are you seeing a lot of that as well not not as much as i i 
think we would, we're going to see. Okay. But it, you're, the opportunity cost, that's something when I talk to my investors, mm -hmm. we're gonna, I always say we're going to look at the market. We're going to look at what other opportunities are out there sure. and see if this makes sense. Yeah, totally. And that, that's, that's a great point is, is what are you going to do with these proceeds? Yeah going forward yeah so and then you've got the the all kind of elusive 1031 that everybody tries to to kind of work for and a lot of times it doesn't line up because you can't find the next deal to get into <laughs> you know absolutely so right. then you're then you're taking a worse deal because the deal was too good to, to let go on the sale so having somebody like you advise who's has been through it is so invaluable to these people that uh, i can't can't overstate that I appreciate it, and, and you make a great point too, going back to something we talked about before. That 1031 exchange combined with that lower leverage Fannie loan that we talked about, where you can withstand 65% loan sure. to value, yeah. they give a lot of incentives. Lower rate, mm -hmm. below 65%, full term interest only. Sure. At 65%. That's a, great, that's a great deal right now. A lot of tools yeah. to make those things work. Yeah. So if we can just sit down, understand the investment strategy of my borrower, and talk through those options, yeah. that's really, I have to listen before I can talk yeah. and to give any advice on yeah. it. So. I always say, if you're kind of thinking through like how Eric could help you, I've, I've stated this a couple of times uh, when I've, I've sent people kind of his direction is that I say, it's the equivalent of uh, you getting into plumbing and really not knowing what you're doing. So what you do is you call your neighbor who has fixed his bathroom one time or maybe two times and he's got one tool that he knows he can use. It's like versus calling a plumber who has a whole truck full of tools. He has every tool you've ever needed in plumbing. He's done, you know, a thousand deals. Like that's how I always describe you. It's like, you know, most people are so limited in their scope. I am like, and I've done close to 4,000 doors, but it's like, but we get so niche focused in multi. It's like, I've only done value adds in certain states, in certain styles, with certain values, with certain amounts of people with, you know, that are either in syndications, like, and so it's like, again, I'm, I'm the next, like people ask me advice on, on multi all the time and I'm like, yeah, I have a lot of doors, but the thing is, is I'm like your next door neighbor who has one plumbing tool. It's like, this is all I got. I think we can fix your pipe, you know? And I think it's like, it's, it's so much more important to have somebody who has a whole stall of, of tools and abilities and you know, a broad scope of understanding of how these pieces can come together. And that, that focus on the debt side is, is one piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And like you, you come in with that equity focus to be able to look at different structures of how you can sure. serve an investor. Yeah. So it all works together. And that's the beauty of this multifamily yeah. side. It's a, it's a team. Yeah. How do they get a hold of you? How can they engage with you and see, see if you, it makes sense for you to help them? You know, I, I, I try and stay as available as possible. Mm -hmm. um, phone calls doesn't have to be a formal structure. Mm -hmm. So I can, uh, email and phone is great. Okay. I can offer that now. If that's, sure. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, my, my phone number is 1-800-916-9005. 800-916-9005. And my email address, first name, last initial, E-R-I-C-S at AtlanticIC.com. Okay, AtlanticIC.com. Thank you so much for being our guest today. It was super informative. And, uh, and also I think timely um, because the things that you speak about are, are so needed in this marketplace. People are gonna have to navigate new waters they've never seen before. And, um, and so to have somebody who has navigated them before, it's, it's invaluable. Well, I appreciate you having me, Eddie. Thanks yeah, so much. Absolutely, and thanks for being a resident expert as well.
Let me say a quick thank you to our sponsor, which is Real Property Management. Uh, working with the right property management company can put more money in your pocket, not less. Real Property Management provides a higher standard of property management to make sure you're maximizing the return on your investment. Experience the real difference with Real Property Management. Visit realpropertymgt.com. Thank you so much, Think Realty listener and viewer. Uh, make sure you continue to, to follow along. Give us feedback. What do you like? What do you dislike? Uh, what do you need more of? And then make sure you follow us on social, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all those places where you can find us. Follow us and go to your local Barnes & Noble and pick up our latest Think Realty magazine. Um, we want you to make sure that you dive deep into this ecosystem we've created with great uh, content and great uh, advice. Um, whether or not you need or you believe you need us, you need us because this marketplace is crazy right now, lots of movement, and we're always going to put lots of points of opinion in front of you and lots of data uh, to make sure that you're successful in this market. Let me give you one last thing here. Warren Buffett doubled his net worth during the last downturn, during the last recession, went from 40 billion to 80 billion. Warren Buffett also uh, just sidelined about $18 billion with capital. It's not because he's scared of the market, it's because he knows in marketplaces just like this, it's time to double the net worth. It's not time to run out scared, it's time to wait and run in when the time prompts and when there's opportunity. This current marketplace is where a lot of real estate investors will find brand new opportunity and will ultimately find the net worth and legacy that they want. Stay with us and we'll try to help you navigate those waters. Thank you so much for being a part of Think Realty. Um, we appreciate you and uh, we always want to serve you. Let us know if there's ever anything we can do. Happy investing.